the story of my body could be, you know, the the big narrative arc is the story of of one woman's journey from a body that was constantly cueing imminent danger to the story of a woman who experiences her body as a as a um, canvas and opportunity to interact with this incredible sensual world um, that God made and capable of experiencing sustained mental effort, sustained physical effort, sustained relational connection um, without constantly having my alarm system going off and interrupting me most moments of my waking hours. So I would say, Morgan, that for for much of my life and as a little girl and, and primarily into my teenage years and then really, really excruciatingly in college, what I had going on in my body often was a deep sense of my body being alarmed and cueing me that I was in danger. And what was so profound and perplexing is that really, like my circumstances, I was not in danger. It was C.S. Lewis who said, there is no good trying to be more spiritual than God. Lewis insisted that God never meant man to be purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put new life into us. We may think this rather crude or unspiritual. God does not. He likes matter. He invented it. Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and I have my favorite guest on the entire planet, and I actually believe in the entire universe, (laughs) with me at this table, the one and only Sherry Lynn Snyder. Sherry, thank you for coming in, and I'm excited to dive into this topic of the body. Morgan, it is, as always, great to be with you, and you make me smile and you make me laugh. I've long anticipated the chance to sit with you and to have the chance to ask you some questions to explore this really curious idea and category and this really vital category that I think more this age than other ages past gets lost and misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And it's one that really is central to the work entrusted to your care in the kingdom, and it's the body and the theology of the body and how our bodies play a central role in the restoration of the kingdom, both here and in the world to come. So thank you, Sherry, for joining me. And I just want to start with curiosity. Why does this matter so much to you? Thanks, Morgan. Morg, you mentioned in Becoming King, the big idea that Chesterton offers that every generation loses the gospel and every generation is charged with its recovery. And I'm aware that, you know, I, I just want to say to all of our friends, I'm just coming as a lay person, as someone who um, has been on the journey of wanting to um, receive um, wholeness in how my body functions, particularly how my, what you may call my internal alarm systems function. And I'm not, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a scientist. So I come humbly before you and just share what's been meaningful to me. And at the same time, I, I 
Morgan knows this about me and God's made me to be an earnest student. So um, on my own journey, I've just been reading and meditating and reflecting a lot, Morgan, really over the last 20 years uh, specifically. But um, what brings me, I think, to this work is um, as Bessel van der Kolk, who um, wrote, wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is just a seminal book. And for me, it'll be, you know, I believe it'll go down as the top, one of the top five books that God has used to orient me and rescue me and heal my humanity. He talks about most much research, even him as a scientist, is me search. And he began to become aware that he had a lot of distressing sensations in his own body. And as he was charged, had a vocation as a psychiatrist, and then as a trauma-informed practitioner, he chronicles the journey in some ways of the medical establishment over the last 50 years and related to mental health and emotional health. And he talks about that when he first became a psychiatrist, there wasn't much understanding of the impact of trauma on the body. It was really this idea of like, what's what are these pathologies happening in people's minds? And kind of a focus on what was going wrong in people's minds that were causing all this erratic behavior. He talks about, you know, being in different treatment facilities in the 60s and 70s and how different it is now in the 2000s. Even since 2010, there's been so much research that's come out that says that a lot of what we call mental disorders are have their origin actually in the functioning of the nervous system hmm. and the whole body and how our bodies connect to other bodies, how um, our relationships affect us. So both how really, how we've been formed by our relationships and how we've been formed by levels of danger and or security in our, in our lives is so, so potent in terms of how our bodies are in the world and how we experience being in our own skin and that instead of isolating the mind and trying to figure out these mental illnesses, quote unquote, God, I believe, is acting on the earth through science and through helping us read the scriptures from a Hebraic worldview instead of a Greek worldview. And we could talk more about that, but just all kinds of reasons why both I see inside the body of Christ and then through the grace of science, we're coming back to what the scriptures have always told us, which is we are embodied beings. We are of the earth. We are relational creatures to our core. And um, we can't separate the mind from the body no more that we could separate the human from his or her relationships. Sherry, it's really intriguing to hear some of the backstory on Bessel van der Kolk and how he came to, yes, this brilliant book. And there's a lot of directions we could go. I, I, and I'm fascinated by all of them. We can go into this Greek worldview and how what is it like to return to a Hebrew worldview. We can unpack modernity and how mm -hmm. that shaped at least the age in the earth in which we're now in the mm -hmm. Western world. Mm -hmm. you know, we're in our 40s and we grew up in that. And this shift back to understanding a spiritual reality mm -hmm. rather than just this landscape of secular humanism. And it's a human world with human problems requiring human solutions. Mm -hmm. But we are also a story-centered culture. Mm -hmm. And we know, and we have come to believe deeply that our stories matter mm -hmm. and our stories are intended to be grafted back into the story in which we originated. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be really helpful for our listeners to 
relate to this topic by hearing some of your story mm-hmm. as it relates to your body and how it really dove you into not only the research and the staunch posture of being a student, but actually receiving so much redemption in yes. your body and restoration of your body and being able to offer that to so many other people now. Yes. What's the story with your body? Yeah. The story of my body could be, you know, the the big narrative arc. It's the story of, of one woman's journey from a body that was constantly cueing imminent danger to the story of a woman who experiences her body as a as a um, canvas and opportunity to interact with this incredible sensual world um, that God made and capable of experiencing sustained mental effort, sustained physical effort, sustained relational connection um, without constantly having my alarm system going off and interrupting me most moments of my waking hours. So I would say, Morgan, that for, for much of my life and as a little girl, and, and primarily into my teenage years, and then really, really excruciatingly in college, what I had going on in my body often was a deep sense of my body being alarmed and cueing me that I was in danger. And what was so profound and perplexing is that really, like my circumstances, I was not in danger. Like, for example, I would be, um, Morgan can examine this, like we would be at a early on in our years with Ransomed Heart, we would go to a Christmas party and then I would get in the car and I would immediately start having these waves of kind of panic in my body um, as I reviewed what I said or what I didn't say and how I acted and how I didn't act. And it was like my body was responding as if I were standing in front of an oncoming train. I was stuck there and there was no way to evade the danger but as a matter of fact, I'm sitting with you in our car and, you know, my precious young husband just having to deal with the fallout of, a, of me at a Christmas party. And, um, you know, that word insecure, which I always felt so shamed over, I was just so profoundly insecure. And what I've come to realize is that that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just a matter of fact. It's like, taking a scan of my body and seeing, oh, Sherry has high cholesterol or Sherry has, you know, um, her insulin production isn't working. Like to be insecure in the body is just a matter of fact. But I felt so ashamed of it. So not only would I feel a lot of fear and terror in my body, but then I had the self-hatred of what's wrong with me? Why am I so insecure? And it just felt like insecure was like the most shameful thing to be said of someone like, oh, she's so insecure. To me, when I would hear someone described as insecure, it was like the next sentence is like, get as far away from her as possible. And I I had this profound level of insecurity in my body. And what I have come to realize is that's that wasn't my fault. I had thought that that was just something completely and totally and utterly flawed in me, this fatal flaw of insecurity. And what I came to realize is that that was the question of why, why, Sherry, is your precious alarm system in your body signaling that you're in imminent danger? That was, that very question became, you know, as we talk about at Becoming a King, the trailhead of, of the last 20 years of journey with my God. 
and to understand my own body, to understand my story, to understand the function of having a body with an Mm -hmm. alarm system, to understand that my body was giving me profound information Mm -hmm. about my story and that merely medicating that feeling, or for me, what I would mostly do is I would medicate or um, navigate those sensations by avoiding social situations. So I, the safest place for me to be often would be by myself because the anxiety I felt not only in the moment in the social situation, but afterward was just so intense. I was doing the best I could with the tools I had, which was to spend a lot of time alone because my body could relax when I was by myself. But um, I was made for more than having to use isolation as my greatest tool of experiencing equanimity in my body. And the father had more for me. And in fact, my um, the inheritance of getting to be in relationship and in secure relationship and in dynamic relationship is something that God has just fought for in my life. And my experience of being in my body is, is night and day. Now we go to a Christmas party and it's only upon reflection that I realized, oh my gosh, we just like drove home and talked about how much fun we had. It's only when I pause and really see how different mm-hmm. my life experience is that I can appreciate that this is like the pivot for me and God's rescue mm-hmm. of who I am and his kindness to me to rescue me from the intolerable sensations that were almost constant, especially in social situations. That phrase, intolerable sensations in your body, you know, it's interesting. I can think back on my story and it wasn't until decades later that I could observe and appreciate that's what I was medicating. I I actually wouldn't have told you at the time. I I would have said, this is just being human or Mm -hmm. this is what life is like or worse, this is who I am. When in fact, the experience was an intolerable sensation. In my situation, it was a situation of profound anxiety, which that, that wasn't even a term that was being used in the family culture I grew up in, though everybody struggled with anxiety. I was medicating in many ways to get out from under this intolerable Mm -hmm. sensation. Mm -hmm. And I think of the intolerable sensations of being severely overweight as a child and then the shame of that and then throwing myself into fitness. But actually looking back, so much of it was fueled by a combination of Mm self-hatred and this desperate desire to feel like a man. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to feel like a man and I hated myself and particularly I hated my body. Mm. And so that became the place of uh, condemnation and relentless pursuit, Mm -hmm. all absent of the love of a father, Mm -hmm. um, the father heart of God. Mm -hmm. And, And so I appreciate, Sherry, one of the things that you have said often in your trauma sensitive caregiving of other people we, we have learned to replace the phrase, what's wrong with me, with what's right with mm-hmm. me. In, in other words, there's a way things work. Mm-hmm. And if we have an intolerable sensation in our body, mm-hmm. and if we are reaching for medicators, and if there are triggers that are causing us to react in ways that are inconsistent in nature or 
extreme with the situation at hand Mm -hmm. that often it's actually something that's right with us. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it's meant to be the trailhead that can actually lead us into restoration and being really well and really happy in our, in our bodies. And I look at our marriage and we're, we're going on 20 years now and it's of all the themes, one of the themes that I have observed, like you said, you have to step back to just appreciate it is like you have become so much happier and healthier in your body. Mm -hmm. And I've become healthier and happier Mm -hmm. in my body. Our physical intimacy just gets better and better Mm -hmm. and better Mm -hmm. because we're well on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I would like to hear some more. Mm -hmm. Where did you go? Like use the practical steps that took place over the better part of two decades, but especially in this last decade. Mm -hmm. And what was at work behind that? Yeah. Thanks, Morgan. I had a severe depression in 2008. I guess the word depression is the word I use because it's the easiest way to kind of button up the experience. But it was an experience of um, intolerable sensation in my body, an effort to tend to that intolerable sensation, and then a kind of an avalanche of experiences that ended up with me in an absolutely compromised state of hopelessness, despair, rage, self-hatred, inner violence, aggression toward myself, um, aggression toward Morgan. It was just a mess. And I honestly thought that, um, I remember talking to my brother and trying to imagine what my life would look like from a place of complete hopelessness. And what I imagined was that Morgan and his mom would raise our kids and that I would somehow, like, I guess, live with my parents as sort of a underfunctioning, strange adult. And um, <laughs> like, I remember thinking, well, I go to the kids weddings like mm. I'll probably have an estranged relationship with them and mm. so I can just look back and to think about that level like just observing how deep in despair and how much I thought that my life was beyond recovery like there was no way God could rerail the train wreck that my mental health and physical health was at that time and then the relational um, fragmentation that had happened between you and me and So I'm observing, I have emotion as we're talking about this right now, because to be sitting here 13 years later and um, observing our friendship, our love, like you said, we're happier and healthier in our bodies. And just that, that, that time that we talk about often that that place of incredible suffering um, becomes the door of hope. You know, it's, there's in Hosea, it says the valley of Acor will become the door of hope. The valley of suffering becomes the door of hope. And that that valley of suffering, Morgan, for you and I both, for you, it was your baptism into sonship. And for me, it was my harrowing birth canal toward um, a journey of the last 13 years to find myself feeling so well. Hmm. And it's just profound. And like we said, we couldn't measure it by the day, but we can measure it by the decade, by the year. It's been said in trauma-informed environments, instead of asking the question of what's wrong with you, if you see, let's say, a kiddo misbehaving or um, acting out, or if you see an adult acting in ways that we might say just seems really strange, one question you begin to ask is, what happened to you? So we develop a, a sense, a story, a curiosity about story, 
And what's profound, Morgan, is that just as you know, our experiences can cause um, interruption and then a, a dysfunction in how our alarm system in our body is is working, experiences also heal and hmm. um, re-rail, as it were, or or restore healthy functioning to the alarm system in the body. And so it's it's just so hopeful to me that there is provision. I think one of my questions for God, my laments, my cry to Him is, where is there provision for living in bodies in a fallen world? Where is there provision? If our bodies remember our stories and carry, whether it was threat to our physical bodies, whether it was trauma from living in a racialized world where to have a body that is um, of color is a body that's going to be in more danger than to have a body that is light-skinned. Where is the provision for living in a world where body, our bodies remember and our bodies experience our stories and recalibrate around the danger, around the rejection, around the threat to our lives? And um, where's the provision? And for God to rush in and show me how much provision there is both in this age and in the promise of of the renewed earth and um, to be get to be embodied for for all time and and our bodies fully restored. But I would like to just say my first step was I just felt like the Father invited me into the Hebrew scriptures and showed me, particularly in the Psalms, he normalized the distress that I was feeling in the body. Um, for example, even that word, that English word, uh, distress, is translated from a Hebrew word that means constricted or confined. And that's actually like distress in my body is an experience of profound constriction, constriction of my breath, constriction of all my muscles, like, like an absolute, almost paralyzed constriction. And to find that in the Hebrew scripture, the sophistication of language to put words to the embodied human experience So I'd like to read to you from Psalm 55, which has been so precious for me, Morgan. The psalmist writes, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I'd flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. As for me, I call to God, and Yahweh saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. And Morgan, it was like, I remember reading a psalm and being like, oh my gosh, that's exactly it. If I were a dove, I could fly away. Mm. But actually the um, turmoil and distress and homelessness is inside my own body. There's no way I could flee to get out of this body that was like a tempest Mm. within me that was cueing such agony. And then, of course, you end up, um, for me, it makes total sense you end up in depression. Because if you have that much agony going on inside your own body and there's no way to flee, I mean, other than under major like influence of of drugs or alcohol you cannot get away from our own bodies and i just 
I just remember crying out in the Lord, but so grateful to have the psalmist put words to it for me of, I am in distress. My heart is in anguish. It feels like my body is responding to the terror of death. Fear and trembling have beset me and horror has overwhelmed me. And to find that in the Psalms, and I mean, Psalm 31, Psalm 143, I mean, it just goes on and on in the Psalms, these, this poignant um, putting language to being in absolute turmoil mm-hmm. inside. It reminds me of a quote from um, Bessel van der Kolk in The Body Keeps a Score when he says, self-regulation depends on having a friendly relationship with your body. Mm-hmm. Without it, you have to rely on external regulation, right? So we all have to regulate somehow, but if we are not friendly with ourself, literally if our insides are a hostile environment, then we have to self-regulate externally. And he goes on to describe it. We use medication like drugs or alcohol or constant reassurance, compulsive compliance, with the wishes of others. And so it's really helpful to see that the reaching, you know, one of my mentors, Chuck Bolton says, we medicate to change how we feel. Exactly. Anything we use as a medicator, mm-hmm. it's a, whatever else it is, it's mm-hmm. a reach to change mm-hmm. how we feel. Mm-hmm. And I'm struck by that story, you know, that it's, it's really essential to get honest with what is our experience of ourself? Yes. What do we think of ourselves? You know, I, you were gracious in urging me, counseling me, pleading with me to try out yoga years ago, which is a whole wild story. You knew that that was an on-ramp for healing. And I remember for seven years, I was in classes um, under a, a, a lovely teacher named Julie, And I would park right in front of the mirror because I just wanted to not be distracted other than seeing myself. And I remember I hated that guy. Mm. And I didn't get to see me often Mm. before this. I never really, you know, think of it much when I look in the mirror. But for seven years, Mm. I had a relationship with this man in the mirror. And I got to check in multiple times a week of what I thought about him. And Mm -hmm. an hour is a long time to be with yourself Mm -hmm. in your own body. And what was so beautiful, Sherry, is to see the transformation that Mm -hmm. happened where I remember it was after seven years where I looked in the mirror one day and I went, I like that guy. Mm -hmm. I accept him. That's a better way of saying it. I remember we were at a Wild Heart Advanced and I was having some health challenges and there was a long string where I was just sick all the time and and we pulled away with some intercessors in the team and John was leading me through, through some prayer and he said, you know, I think there's an agreement you need to break. And he's like, um, you need to break an agreement with self-hatred. And I just mm-hmm. thought, no, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I have a lot of self-hatred. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work. And then he said, well, what do you think about your body? Mm-hmm. And I said, without editing, I said, oh, I hate my body. Mm. And when the words came out of my mouth, it was so validating of, well, if you hate your body and you are at war with yourself, then how can the love of God access Mm -hmm. when you hold the keys Mm -hmm. to open up to the light and life of God? And one one more story to get to a question. Mm -hmm. So I have a friend and I'll call him Dave. 
And he went through a, a pretty traumatic divorce. His wife um, had an affair in their home. He has four children. And he made some unfortunate decisions of basically um, beating this guy that his wife was having an affair with. It landed him in jail for uh, the better part of a week and $15,000. And um, this friend of mine, Dave, um, loves God, but has some broken places in his story. And it began a, a path of restoration mm -hmm. and healing of his own soul. Um, unfortunately, not his marriage, but he fought valiantly for his four children, sons and daughters. And one of the court orders was this man was not allowed to be in their family home, which was now his ex-wife's um, home. But he was, the, the, the boyfriend was not allowed to be there. So three years later, which was recent, he shows up surprised to pick up his children for a holiday trip. And he has good rapport with his ex-wife at this point and the guy's there. And everything in his body is, it's fight, flight, or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. It's the limbic system takes over. And this ends with me beating the shit out of this man because he deserves it. And it's all I know to do. Mm -hmm. But he had grown. David mm -hmm. grown in that time saying, I know that's what I want to do, but I'm not going to do. So I end up having a conversation with him three days after. Mm -hmm. So I hear the story three days after, and he's basically been on a binge uh, of drinking for three days. And he said, I am doing everything I can, but it's in my body. Then yes. that was language that was unfamiliar to our conversation if past. Mm -hmm. But he said, I have, I, I, my body, I don't know what to do. Yes. And all I can do is drink. And he said, Morgan, it's not working. Yes. And I said, do you have a trash can? He said, I said, a metal trash can. He said, yes. I said, do you have a baseball bat? He said, yes. And I said, here's what you need to do. What you're feeling is right with you. Yes. Of course you have that in your body. Yes. And part of God's care is to give you permission to get it out. Yes. And so I'm going to invite you to get that can yes. and go to a safe place and beat the shit out of it. Yes. An hour later, he sent me these two pictures, no words, just two pictures on text. And one was this perfect, it was almost like a, a movie set, green manicured yard, like a golf course in this perfect 30-gallon silver aluminum trash can. Mm -hmm. And then the next picture was it flattened like a pancake. Mm -hmm. And and I looked at these pictures and just smiled. And I waited for a day mm -hmm. and I checked in with him. I said, Dave, like, how are you? And mm -hmm. he said, my soul is well. Yes. And it was really a joy bomb because I just got on Amazon, found a 30-gallon trash can, no message, no anything. It just had it delivered to his door. Yes. And he opened it up a week later and just laughed. And the point was the work he needed to do couldn't just be prayer over yes. the phone. Right. It had to be an act with his body. Yes to allow the violence to come out in an appropriate way. Yes. And, and I believe that actually through it, there was this validation yes. from the father and then room to get to the sorrow and to the grief. Yes. And so I want to share that story for a moment with you as, as our teacher, uh, Sherry, to say, you work with people in these sort of situations. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you work from everything from, um, women in our local community offering classes to navigators to a beautiful ministry in town that that helps to move women, single moms with young families from the edge of homelessness to stability mm -hmm. on every level, mm -hmm. emotional, physical, 
um, financial. And you offer classes to them that are trauma-sensitive care mm -hmm. of restoration in their bodies. Mm -hmm. So that was a long segue to ask you, mm -hmm. what do you do yeah. with a body right. to get well? <laughs> It's so right? beautiful. Because here's the difference is we're not talking about healing makes the body feel better. We're right. actually saying that's that's true. But we're also saying often restoration has to come through body work. Right. So what can you do with your body over time that is a manifestation of the kingdom that we test it and find God's kingdom to be reliable yeah. and we can be well? Yeah, exactly. My goodness, Morgan. I love you. That story is so powerful. And I would, you know, I think one of the, you know, we could boil it down to this question of, like you said, what do we do with a body? How do we navigate the sensations in our body without bringing harm to ourselves or someone else? Mm. That's and a great question. Exactly. How do we navigate the sensations in our body without bringing harm to ourselves or someone else? And as you say that, just to pause, I also want to ask the question that's coming to me that's equally important. How have I navigated yes. sensations in my body yes. that have brought harm to yep. myself exactly. and other people? Oh, my gosh. And, you know, for me, Morgan, um, my primary substance that I used was people and codependence in my relationships. And it's like if I was... If People, my primary relationships were happy with me, then my body was at peace. Mm -hmm. If there was any conflict or any suggestion, um, whether from my enemy or from my own heart accusing me, my own my own mind accusing me of that I'd done something wrong to hurt someone or to fail them. I mean, it was like pegged at a 10 of danger in my body. So you know, again, what's right with me is that I have a body that can give me information about how my relationships are going. But because of my, for all kinds of reasons, my story, you know, my, my genetic makeup, I mean, all that's in there, but I want to focus on story is that my body was, um, had, had configured itself so that a strain in relationship queued at a level 10 of danger. Yes. And really what it should cue at is like a level one or two, mm -hmm. enough that I note it and can make a, um, a responsive decision of how do I want to go? Do I need to repair? Do I have something I'm responsible for? Is that totally in someone else's lane? But because I would immediately peg it a 10, I just had to be compulsive in trying to relieve the strain in the relationship mm -hmm. so I could feel good. And it prevented me from being a responsible, mature adult in most of my relationships mm -hmm. because I could not tolerate any conflict. Yeah. And, and the other thing I observed is even, let's say it's, it is a six or a seven, but it needs to be tended to and then released. Yeah, exactly. Right? Whereas I would notice that everything was a seven or above oh and it couldn't go away. And yeah. so it would steal joy. Oh, yeah. It would steal that peace that actually God wants to bring inside your body. Right. Exactly. And so I think instead of being able to receive data, helpful and essential data from how my body was cueing me that was relevant to a present moment situation, my body is cueing not only to the present moment, but all of the unresolved issues in my story. And so I think this is, you know, there's a term we call allostatic load, which to me, the way I translate it personally, is like the cumulative load of um, both resolved and unresolved story in my body. And so 
if I have a lot of unresolved story in my body related, let's say, to um, like a lack of security with my primary caregivers, then when I am in a relationship with my husband and Morgan, you are needing space from me. And to me, my body, it feels like it's absolute rejection instead of a healthy, mature adult needing space. You know, this is in previous seasons. Because of that unresolved story in my body, my allostatic load, let's say, is at 100 units. And so um, instead of once when I have worked through some of my story and have resolved some of that um, extra load, maybe my allostatic load in that moment is is really just us mm-hmm. in our relationship. It's not also my relationship with my dad and my relationship with my college roommates mm-hmm. that I'm reacting to. So my allostatic load can be a 10 instead of a hundred units. And then you and I can work through those 10 units by doing mature adult relating. So um, what do we need to do? We need to, I would say there's several, there's several prongs of engagement. One is engagement with our stories, understanding that, you know, we say in the larger story that we were made in the image of Trinity. We are relational to our core. John and Stacey teach that nothing will thrill us or devastate us more than relationship. And it's just, it's neurologically true. Our primary relationships um, have been profoundly formative to us. And um, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. As adults, we can learn to reparent ourselves. We can learn to, you know, um, receive God as father and God as mother. And so it's not the end of our story, but we do have to take sort of objective stock, as it were, of like, what's the allostatic load I'm carrying from my childhood? For some people I've met, like, you know, people I know, their allostatic load from their childhood is pretty low. Mm -hmm. For all kinds of reasons, their internal and external resources were sufficient Mm. for their allostatic load to be low. For some of us, um, our allostatic load is like a thousand units compared to someone else's 20. And that's okay. But until I come to terms with what is my allostatic load, what needs tending, um, I'm not going to be dealing with reality as it really is. And I think one comment on that is I often connect with people when you talk about allostatic load in childhood where they will say, I don't really recall much from my childhood and I don't think it was that bad or that dramatic. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the fruit of their life, Mm when most of their relationships are dysfunctional, that they're, that they're operating out of um, immense loneliness or anger, inability to connect emotionally or regulate emotion, you, you know it by its fruit. So I think what I'm just wanting to note on that load is maybe one way to evaluate, especially for guys that, that may have a tendency to dismiss or minimize is if the fruit in relationships has severe negative consequences, Mm -hmm. then by definition, the allostatic load is very high, Mm -hmm. even if you can't mentally recall it. And you don't have to have conscious awareness of all of your history to get healing and restoration. Exactly. Exactly. So some curiosity around what is the load in my body that I'm carrying from unresolved parts of my story. And then we have, you know, the question of, okay, to your point of like when I, when about healing, Vander Kolk was saying that 
you know, healing would be the capacity to regulate sensation in the body without an unhealthy dependence on external resources or substances or relationships that are bringing harm to ourselves or others. And so there's uh, very pragmatic things that we can do, Morgan, to help regulate sensation in the body. And so we can talk about those. It'd be really great. I would love to get super practical. There are quite a few directions we can go. This is an entire body of content, of experience. But for our listeners that are tracking with us going, okay, you have my attention. I get it. Mm -hmm. My relationship with my own body, question mark, right? Mm -hmm. This This is a big area. How I feel in my body in a lot of ways, question mark. What I do to regulate how I feel um, so that I could feel better than mm-hmm. I feel right now, mm-hmm. question mark. These are, these are frontiers yes. that need to be explored. But for today, I would love to get really practical. You're an entirely different person in your body mm-hmm. than you were a decade ago. There is an on-ramp and mm-hmm. you, you did a beautiful um, teaching uh, from anxiety to peace that I actually released as a podcast on Become Good Soil. We'll release it as a blog post in the video form soon. So you can find it there where you really unpack mm-hmm. some, some, some steps. But for our listeners today, mm-hmm. um, can you give us three examples mm-hmm. of on-ramps mm-hmm. to begin getting curious and things that you shall know them by their fruits and, mm-hmm. and you found it to be really helpful, not only to you, but for example, to some of your students that Mm -hmm. are coming in without a working knowledge, without a really robust worldview, without Mm -hmm. a lot of work in their bodies. You know, you've been so humbled with some of these younger students that actually their bodies can't move that well Mm -hmm. because there's been so much trauma Mm -hmm. that they literally, and and lack of health, they don't have mobility. Mm -hmm. They don't have... um, well-being in their bodies. Mm-hmm. So what's the on-ramp? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really interested and I wanted to ask you of like, why do you think we end up hating our bodies? What was your body an obstacle to or or where was it thwarting you that would mm. result in hating your body? Those are good questions It can, because it takes me back to Genesis. I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. I mean, I'll speak as a man. So much of life is hiding from the fear and the shame, I'm not who I want to be, Mm -hmm. I'm not who I should be, Mm -hmm. or even worse, I'm not who they think I am. Mm -hmm. And so it's a hiding. I I remember when I was a boy, I really wanted to kill it on the half pipe with a skateboard. Mm And I just didn't have the physicality to do it. I was fat and I was untrained and I didn't know that it all comes out of the core. Like all strong physical fitness comes out of core work and no one taught me do the work. Just do sit-ups every day like our son does. And if you have your core, everything stems out of that. And so there was so much shame. But here I am hanging with my buds, wanting to be one of the one of the rat pack and feeling so deficient. Mm. And then I remember running where I did, I remember trying out for, soccer and my friends got selected for the travel team and I didn't, I didn't deserve to get selected. I wasn't that good, but no one worked harder than me Mm. and it wasn't enough. Mm. 
And, and it was in those years where I, I started running and I remember my mom would pack lunch in middle school and I would throw it away. I would give it away mm-hmm. to Doug and other football players because they were trying to get big and I was trying to get small. So mm-hmm. I'd give them my lunch. And then people started kind of noticing. So then I just started throwing it away. And then I made a commitment. I wouldn't eat a bite of food until my after school run mm-hmm. was completed. So I had a four and a half mile loop. So I would go all day without food mm-hmm. and then I would run four and a half miles. And it was out of hatred yes. because and as you ask that question, I have to, I have to dig deep, share and find it, but it was, I don't feel like a man. Mm-hmm. I want to feel strong. Mm-hmm. I want to perform. I want to succeed. And it was the driving of, I, I am naked and ashamed mm-hmm. and I'm, I don't want to be exposed mm-hmm. for the weak imposter that I am. Mm. And so it's self-salvation. It's self-initiation. That's Mm. really where it came from as a man. You know, we're meant to be shepherded through a process of initiation Mm. that's father-centered. And what's terrible to the soul is when we go through initiation that's self-initiation or Mm. peer-based initiation, Mm. we never have the privilege of actually allowing the boy inside to become a man. So biologically, we become a man, mm-hmm. but spiritually and soulfully, we, we lack that process. Mm-hmm. So I think we, I developed ways to cope. I develop, um, I did succeed in certain areas. And so I gravitate towards success mm-hmm. of where I feel good, where I feel masculine, where I mm-hmm. feel powerful. And fast forward a couple of days later, we manufacture this very robust, this very sophisticated, this mm-hmm. very mature elaborate fig leaf. Mm -hmm. You know, as Brene Brown says, we engineer smallness. Mm -hmm. And so I become the kind of person that can insulate Mm -hmm. from those sentences. But the problem is when the enemy is within, Mm -hmm. you can't get away from yourself. And that was the brilliance of the invitation of become good soil and becoming a king was I needed to excavate. I needed to spend those years looking in the mirror. I needed to open my heart to unlearn how I had learned God as father and mother and learn him as he truly is. Mm. And so it's very hopeful, but uh, yeah, it's deep waters. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm inclined Morgan because um, the self-hatred or self-rejection is dealing with that really is the, one of the pragmatic steps. We can talk about other things, but um, if you really want to get to the root, you know, basically when we determine that our body and more than that, our personhood is the problem, is the enemy, is the um, thing that needs to be either obliterated or changed or transformed for us to have love and belonging. Or um, I think what I hear you saying for as a man to, to not have, not be ashamed, to be strong, to be, uh, worthy of validation as a man, that that cycle of basically self-assessment and then a movement toward sort of the gavel dropping of you are not as you should be. Therefore, until you are as you should be, you know, I will withhold cherishing, delight, you know, pleasure, yes. acceptance. That sort of ruling by the internal judge of unacceptable is so significant to the alarm system 
and the functioning of of what it feels like to be in our body that the aggression of that ruling against ourselves and so one pragmatic way to soothe the body is to interrupt that cycle of self-assessment a harsh ruling that comes down merciless and harsh and then the sort of aggressive determination mm-hmm. of like i will do whatever it takes right there's this like act of annihilation yeah, yeah. right and instead it's like throwing up the white flag of a truce and saying i stop i, I will stop self-harming right right and give a voice yeah. and what i hear you saying is to stop the cycle in some very practical way yes. like and, and and tell me if this is an application of this tell me if this is an example mm-hmm. of what you mean i was in this program in this class and there was a professor mm-hmm. and looking back i realized she was the first person that shepherded this mother heart of God mm-hmm. into my life. Mm-hmm. It, it was a family life class that really understood the the value of the human person. And mm-hmm. her teaching was basically, it begins with you. It begins mm-hmm. with me. And the very first thing we had to do in this class, now th- this is a post-college mm-hmm. classroom, right? Of, of kind of young adults. Mm-hmm. And we had to write down on a note card, five things we love about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we had to read them out loud. And I remember it like it was yesterday Mm. because I had never written on a piece of paper. I remember writing with a pen. Like it took me a long Mm. time to gather Mm. five things that I even would acknowledge that were Mm. good about me, let Mm. alone things I love about myself. Mm. So to write them, this is where it's embodied, to have them on a physical Mm. card to stand up and look eye to eye with my peers and say, this is true. Mm-hmm. And I love this about me. It, mm-hmm. it, it arrested what I didn't even know was happening. Mm-hmm. And it was simply the floodwaters of self-condemnation. Mm-hmm. Second act that I'll name, I was in an experiential therapy workshop last year in, in incredible healing time. I, I describe it as like an intensive care unit for the soul mm-hmm. for seven days. And one of the first acts we did in small group was we put a chair in the middle of the room, 11 of us in a circle mm-hmm. on the ground sitting, which felt important to me. We we're all equals mm-hmm. just by first name, very comfortable, carpeted, warm room. And we took turns standing behind the chair mm-hmm. and we were to imagine ourselves in the chair. And we embodied someone that loves us. So our, our instructor said, it could be a spouse. It could be one of your kids. It could be your pet, mm-hmm. but someone that you know you feel love from. Mm-hmm. And what do they want to say about you? Mm-hmm. And so it was this embodied act where it was totally different. Mm-hmm. There was a confidence to speak truth because I wasn't bragging or I wasn't boasting or I wasn't reaching. Mm -hmm. It was choosing someone who loves me Mm -hmm. actually chose you. And I said, I know Sherry would say this confidently about me, far more confidently than I can say about myself. So are are those examples Mm -hmm. of breaking the cycle? Totally. And I think what I want to, I'm just curious, Mark, because of, um, I'm just feeling led since we're trying to offer more prayer on yes on through the podcast and friends, you know, I can just I I just am looking at Morgan across this table and it's like my heart. I want to weep for the eight year old 
I'm going to weep for the eighth grader, seventh grader who didn't eat his lunch, seventh grader, because he ran. Like, I, I feel the stirring of the heart of God for you. And um, again, it's not, it's not the only piece, but some of that coming for the little boy in you and the little girl in me and the little boy in our friends and the little girl in our friends. It's just, it really is part of this. And yes. What, what is amazing about this is this is where I see this the stream of the gospel offering something that, you know, all of the wonderful pragmatic ideas, which I'm, I'd love to share with you about also regulating sensation in the body can, you know, um, help us tremendously, but we're, we're on some of the deepest waters here when we talk about dealing with our ambivalence toward ourselves. Mark, I just wanted to share one more story for me as a segue to this inner healing part. And so maybe four years or, or so ago, we went away around Christmas time, which we typically try to do Christmas or January to celebrate our anniversary. Um, you guys, our anniversary is December 16th and my birthday is December 24th. And then, you know, as you may know, Christmas is December 25th. So there's just a lot going on. Um, so often we'll celebrate in January, but in this case, we've gone um, around the time of my birthday and I forget Morgan, it was like, we had been having an amazing time together. And then something that you said about my birthday brought up this feeling in, of um, like, it was like this, this wave of sensation in my body came of kind of all this ambivalence around my birthday of like, you know, I hate people celebrating my birthday because I feel like it's in that time of year where you know, there's so much going on in other people's lives to celebrate Christmas. And, but then the desire, you know, just how complicated my relationship, my birthday has been. And, and when I say I hate celebrating my birthday, that's not like rational. Like I wouldn't tell you that, but my body has all of this ambivalence around my birthday. And what happened was I had a rush of that sort of old feeling of ambivalence around my birthday of like, oh brother, like please don't celebrate my birthday, but then all the static around it. But then the next step was I was so angry with myself for have getting reactive around my birthday, particularly when we were having such a good time. And I just didn't, it was like I didn't even want to be myself in my story. I just wanted to be somebody else who wouldn't ever get worked up when her husband mentions her birthday. And so then I went from having that sensation around you bring up my birthday to then self-rejecting and like being so mad at myself and hating who I was and wishing I were somebody else, which is just, again, it was like God was allowing something to come up in some ways. It fell out of nowhere because those weren't feelings I'd been having mm -hmm. much in that season. Mm -hmm. It was just four years ago where I had so much integration. And I, I, I think what I remember is you like looking at my body and being like, whoa, like something is clearly happening for you because my body language just very suddenly changed. And you were brave and was like, what can I do for you? It seems like something's upsetting you. What do you need? You're so brave to ask. And what I determined was I needed to, um, I just needed to go on a walk. Mm -hmm. I needed to pray. I needed to like discharge. I didn't want to discharge on you as I have in the past in that moment. I just want, but I didn't want to like, I knew I needed to get out of that room. So kind of identifying with your your buddy, like all of a sudden I had this charge in my body. Right. I had to do something with it. And this isn't like just self-help theory, right? You just knew as an embodied creature, oh you need to, it, it's something has to happen physical yes. to get this out totally. in an appropriate way. Totally. So I was like, I, got, I, I know at least I have to get out of this room. And thankfully you had the health and you were in a stage where instead of you getting like offended at my need to leave or 
whatever you were like, absolutely do what you need to. Like, it was just so awesome that we had some of the infrastructure to handle that. Right. Cause we've blown this thing oh up my gosh, for we've lots blown. of years, oh, right? Where, oh gosh, let's not yeah, even like count. So, hopeful. Yeah, it's hopeful. It's so like, we had a new way, we had some new ways of being. So I excused myself. I went on a walk. I just, first I just started sobbing hmm. and I had grief that I needed to express, which just surprised me. And then I felt like the father brought to me, this picture of my little girl and her ambivalence around my Christmas Eve birthday and my like hatred of her. I just hated, I wanted her to be winsome and just be happy to have a Christmas Eve birthday or have it not be a big deal or whatever. I just, I hated that she was ambivalent about her own birthday. She wasn't more winsome or delighted or secure or whatever else I wish she were. And um, I just felt like God was like Sherry, you know, I want you to move toward her and she doesn't need to change at all. She doesn't need to stop being ambivalent about her birthday. She doesn't mean need to be less reactive or less sensitive or anything for you to move toward her. I want you to practice moving toward her as she is. And I felt like he brought up to, to me that, that concept Paul articulates in Romans where it says, well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Like, Jesus moved toward us in all of the entanglement in our bodies and stories and interpersonal relationships. And again, it's like not just my story. It's like the story of the whole human race and all of our ways that we've broken each other's hearts. And I want you to embody the initiative of Christ and you go to your little girl instead of wanting her to get herself not to be so intense and be more winsome before you're going to love her. You know, these things are hard to talk about because they're they're on such a, a deep level. But I I felt like Father was like, I want to show you how to move toward and 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 delight in her without her needing to be any different. It wasn't that easy because my um little girl was so full of self-hatred herself, like she didn't even want to receive love. And but over the course of the next half an hour or so, um I felt like the father allowed me to move toward her and to feel this affection for her and to understand her and have compassion for her and understand like deeper than the words and to just like wrap her up in my own arms and heart and accept her as she is, not as she should be. And then what I find is, you know, what we do find the science corroborates what the gospel tells us, which is that we are able to grow without shame once the self-acceptance and, and acceptance of others, unconditional acceptance, as soon as that sort of relational rift and isolation is is healed and we go from separate or orphaned or um, into accepted and, and brought near and close, then actually we can heal and grow, but not out of um, an aggression of I've got to change so I can be loved, but out of oh my gosh, my, the agony of separateness is being tended. And now that energy that was being occupied by all the agony of separateness can now toward, go toward binding the lame leg so that it can be healed and make the, the rough place smooth hmm. so that what is lame within me can be healed. As it says you know, in, the, in the letter to the Hebrews, and that, that obstacle of rejection makes it so that the lame part of me can't even be healed. I have to make the rough place smooth first mm. through unconditional love and acceptance, interrupting 
that cycle that we were talking about. So that then the part of me that is dysfunctional, immature, bringing harm to myself and others can be healed, but not out of shame, out of relationship and, mm. and acceptance. It just feels so helpful while we have our listeners and our tribe is together in this moment, what we can do in our power is to pause mm -hmm. and just um, let us pray to for our friends to receive mm -hmm. the love of God. And maybe one way that you could take us into mm -hmm. it is I know breath work is so important mm -hmm. and it's so accessible. Mm -hmm. And as you were even sharing this morning, like it's it's available to all people at mm -hmm. every place mm -hmm. as you take us into mm -hmm. prayer. Would you begin with the sort of exercise you may do with someone to... Um, begin to regulate mm -hmm. intolerable sensations in their body sure. by finding their breath. Right, exactly. So we'll try to help a sensation that's at a nine, you know, come to a six so that we can handle it. Friends, let's just go ahead and find um, ourselves wherever you are. If you are driving right now, maybe just bear in mind that not all of this would apply. Um, wait until you're in... Um, you know, in a safe place to be drop really deeply. But for those of you who can um, find just a comfortable, maybe a seat. If you're out on a walk, maybe you take the moment to sit down on the grass or sit down on a bench. If you're doing dishes, as I often am when I'm listening to podcasts, maybe just pause for a moment, find a comfortable seat. Just take a moment to scan your body. Just notice for um, how you are in this moment. Take a moment to bring awareness to your face and invite the muscles of your face to soften a bit. For me, I carry so much of my story in my face. Just invite my face to rest, my um, muscular engagement in the face to relax. Try your awareness to your shoulders and can consider just taking a shoulder roll to roll the shoulders up toward the ears and then down the spine and let the shoulders soften as we explore a different way of bearing our load in the yoke of Christ. Just acknowledge what our shoulders have carried and being curious about a different way to allow the load to be borne. And then on your next inhale, just consider inhaling deeply through your nose and notice the broadening of your belly and the expanding of your chest. Maybe the lifting of your whole torso up as you inhale. And then on your exhale, softening your face, settling your shoulders down, noting the contraction through your chest wall, noticing the deflation of your belly. Take just take two more breaths, inhaling and exhaling together. On the next inhale, becoming especially curious about letting the belly inflate first to the belly's full, gracious capacity, letting the ribs expand the whole body filled with breath. And then as you exhale, once again, inviting face, throat, shoulders to relax. 
And consider a special curiosity about that bottom third of your breath as you exhale the last milliliters of air out of your precious lungs, contracting through the muscles of your belly to expend all of that air that might still be lingering. And then at the base of your exhale, allow the inhale to flow in again. And just return to a natural cadence with your breath. Jesus, I am so moved toward um, the eight-year-old within Morgan and toward the 12-year-old. And Lord Jesus, from that place, I'm um, allowing myself to imagine the eight-year-old, the 12-year-old within um, hundreds of your precious ones who are listening. Jesus, we confess, I confess, that I have so, for most of my story, not known what to do with the 8-year-old and 12-year-old within me. It's everything that that part of me is and is not, and the ways that I feel how I am, not as I should be, is worthy of hatred and disgust, revulsion that everything lacking in me is what makes me um, worthy to be an object of rejection, revulsion, disgust, incrimination. Lord, I am asking now that you would come and that you would exchange the way, God, that I have discharged all of the pain of my story onto my own little girl and made her the problem. If only she could be more this and less that, then maybe my needs to be delightful, my need to be loved and cherished, my need to be seen and heard would be filled. Lord, as a man, I'm imagining the need to be strong, to be capable, to have what it takes. If only that little boy were more or less, then the man's need to have what it takes could be filled. Lord, will you help us to place the responsibility where it should lie on the um, adults around us when we were that age? rather than on our own child. Will you remind us, God, that we were the children, not the adults? Lord, will you forgive me for ways that I have unintentionally made my little girl um, out to be the problem? And Jesus, for the men listening, for where that little boy, everything he is and everything that he's not, um, we determined was the problem. And Lord, would you grant us new eyes? We ask, Father, for an exchange. Would you exchange our blindness, our distorted ways of seeing? God, foresight. Heal us, Lord. Help us to see. Would you show me how you see the little girl inside of me? Would you show each man listening? How do you see the little boy? 
What's wonderful about him? What do you love about him? And what do you love about being in relationship with him? How does that little boy impact you, God? Or do we break the agreement that we are primarily self-made individuals whose identity is found in relationship to ourselves as if we were sort of static entities? And we agree with the truth that we are relational beings to our core, that we absorb identity through our impact on those closest to us. And so, Lord, would you share with, confide in each man and each woman what the impact of his or her little girl or little boy is on you? Would you confide in them the delight, the pleasure, how they, our little boy or little girl makes you laugh. Also the compassion that you have for where the child's needs and resources, the child's uh, needs have not been met. And where whether it, because God of um, a mixture of an unjust society and um, the sin of, of humans around the child, as well as the larger collective sin of the society, have caused that child's needs to be unmet. Would you share your your compassion? And Lord, also your um, holy anger that it's not okay for that child's needs not to be met. God, would you uh, show us, would you help us to see, God, where we cannot see? and to hear what we haven't yet been able to hear from your heart. And would you create within us a dwelling place for the child, and the teenager, the 20-something, and the 30-something, and the 40-something, that our full humanity could be restored in every relational dimension of us, God, within and without. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. There is so much hope that we can feel really well in our bodies, that we can come home to ourselves and have a self-acceptance and have a self-love and have a, a, a dignity towards self that actually brings physical healing and healing of relationship beyond what we have in a lot of ways believed what was possible, Mm -hmm. that it's accessible. There's very practical ways to get there, Mm -hmm. that our bodies do keep the score for worse and for better. Mm -hmm. And I'm filled with a lot of hope. So I know that we'll dive into more dimensions of this topic in the future because it's a big one and it's one that we've pursued for over a decade, you for over two decades. Um, Before we close, is there anything else you would want to share on this topic or, um, or one idea that you would want to leave our friends with as they turn off the episode and turn towards their world? Mm -hmm. 
you know, Morgan, what's coming to me is in, you know, in the uh, John's gospel, he records Jesus's prayer on the night he was betrayed. And Jesus is crying out to the father that the love that the father has for Jesus would be in us and that we ourselves would be in Christ. And I'm, what I am observing in myself is a, a trans, um, an iteration of that prayer, which is, Father, I cry out that the love that you have for the little girl or the little boy inside of me, the love you have for, for the child inside of me would be in me so that that child could come home and find home and peace and acceptance and rest in the space to grow without shame grow up without shame inside of me as you are in me, God, and I am in you, that we, um, that I would become um, wholehearted, have my whole heart back, all the ages I've ever been, integrated, connected, receiving your love, able to receive love and to offer love from the overflow of your love, God. Father, let the love that you have for the boy or the girl inside of each one of us be in us that we might be whole. Friends, we're exploring deep waters as we become curious about the role the body plays in our humanity, in our spirituality, and in the restoration of all things. We hope to turn back to this topic in the future uh, for those that are curious and want to keep exploring on the website. There's a link to Body Keeps the Score that you can get uh, Bessel's book. And as I mentioned, Sherry did a beautiful teaching from anxiety to peace that was released as a Become Good Soul podcast that you can find. And in time, that will also be released as a video podcast. So Thank you for joining Sherry and myself for this episode of the Become Good Soil podcast.